Welcome to Say It in Red, a podcast about visual novels. I'm Runa. And I'm Sarah. And today we're going to talk about Eliza. Yes, which I had played before when it first came out and you had not. Yeah, this was the first time that I played Eliza. In fact, I, I hadn't actually even heard very much about it other than, you know, brief things about like the, the game summary and tagline when it pops up to you in Steam or other places. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely heard about it and I'd heard people talk about it um, as far as game reviews and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, this is something that I need to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we talk more about Eliza, since this is our first official episode of the podcast, Yay! I thought we would start with answering the question, what is a visual novel? So, Runa, what do you associate with the term visual novel? Yeah, so generally when I think about a visual novel, I'm thinking about sort of the image of a classic, what you might think of as either a dating sim or a a game, where story is primarily told in text boxes while you've got character sprites or portraits up on the screen Um, talking to one another and you make choices along the way that sort of determine what what path you take throughout the game um and that's like the the sort of like archetypal visual novel i think we've mostly encountered and the function with visual novels and i think one of the big reasons that we are really into them well there's a couple of different reasons but it is also because it's so since you're able to create it with pretty basic I guess, assets. Mm -hmm. Like, really, you just need character sprites, typically, uh, text, and then programming. So, and and then audio. So, it's something that can be done by a small team. In some cases, it can be done by one person. (laughs) (laughs) Rune has never done that. (laughs) I mean, even though I did, I I have made a visual novel on my own, um, I didn't do all of it myself i mean it, even even doing it yourself so i did all the coding and i did all of the music and i did all of the writing right. but even then i couldn't do all of the art assets because it it is much more manageable i'd say than a lot of other forms of narrative game mm-hmm. um in terms of being able to compile and tell your story and present it in a way that's really close to what you sort of want um people to experience right. with a pretty small team or small resources I actually ended up making a kinetic novel, which is a little bit different than a visual novel. So visual novels are the ones you think of when you think about, you know, here are branches and branching routes and pathways and multiple choices that lead to multiple endings or things like that. Like in a dating sim, it's, okay, which character do you want to date? And in mystery things, it's, all right, so which route are you taking in this mystery? Kinetic novels either don't have any choices or the choices actually don't have any substantial sort of impact on the different route and direction of the story and rather they're sort of just there for flavor and sort of give your character different ways to explore dialogue but they don't actually change the route so a kinetic novel is sort of like a straight line um and you go through the game and it tells you this really nice story visual novels have lots of branches and multiple pathways and stuff I think of kinetic novels as, like, if you think of in between, like, an actual comic or having art, having story, and having pacing, I guess, Mm. is what I'd say a kinetic novel is able to bring that is something that, in a different way than what you would have for, say, a comic or an animation. Yeah, yeah. I think it it has a lot of the same sort of elements that you'll find in, like, a, a comic or a graphic novel, 
in terms of how it can present the story, but it also adds like just a couple other dimensions. Like, you know, you've got sound and then you've got the pacing is a big part of it. Right. That ability to actually ha- control or, or give players more control over the pacing of play. So some examples of visual novels that people might have heard of, um, mm-hmm. things like Higurashi, um, which we'll cover very soon on, on this podcast. Any sort of romance one, like uh, what's the mobile, the popular mobile game? Is that Mystic Messenger? Doki Doki Literature Club. Is... Yeah, Doki 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 Literature Club. Hatoful Boyfriend um, mm-hmm. is, a, is one that we'll, we'll talk about at length. And there are some other games that are closer to, you know, kinetic novels. Like, there are a lot of, like, Higurashi is technically actually a kinetic novel. Yeah, yeah. And uh, these are all things that you've probably heard of in the genre, but if you haven't, definitely check them out. And to get back into Eliza, I think Eliza is a really good one to do because I think it has a really good understanding of what you can bring to a visual novel. It's kind of, it definitely plays with choice, with when it doesn't let you have choice and when it does let you have choice. So it's kind of a nice one to start off with, just to talk about, you know, what a visual novel can do. Yeah. Eliza was developed by Zachtronics, which, Runa, you have more knowledge of them than I do. This was really the only game I'd known of through them, but it's not really their kind of game typical to them. But it was developed by one one of their developers, uh, Matthew Sagey Burns, kind of came up with the idea and was planning on doing it on his own and then approached... Zach of Zachtronics and with the idea and they were pretty much like this is great uh, let's do it and so it's it's very polished it's got voice acting that's really well done um well well acted um good music mm-hmm. so the premise of Eliza is that it follows the main character Evelyn Ishino Aubrey uh who has been spending the last three years in a kind of deep depression and more or less is trying to get back into her life and and so she starts to work at Eliza which is a therapy how would you put it it's <laughs> it's like a tech therapy consulting yeah it's easier to just describe i think what she does what it actually does so basically her job is the she's pretty much if therapists could be the equivalent of an uber driver <laughs> <laughs> so basically she goes into work every day and she is kind of the she is the proxy of Eliza which is an AI therapist. So she puts on a headset and she sits down with a client and she basically just speaks out what Eliza wants to say to this client. She she is giving a human face to the AI therapist mm. Eliza. But what she doesn't automatically tell people when she starts this job is that she was actually one of the designers of Eliza before she left the company. So she's actually was a big part of the development and she's kind of come back just to see what happened with this thing that she developed afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And I think we'll get into it a little bit later when we talk about the the sort of like history and the things that went into making this game and the, the interviews the main writer has given afterwards. But so Eliza is a tech product developed by a company called Skanda, which is like a, a not very thinly veiled Amazon analog. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So this is basically, yeah, this is Amazon has developed in the not too distant future, like maybe the next like five, 10 years, has developed an app that uses AI to dispense therapy but people actually need to be there to like read out the lines that the AI is telling them to say. Um, and so that's our premise. So 
one thing is that we'll probably be talking about spoilers for Eliza as we go on. Yes. So it is a very good game, and I I think both of us liked it a lot. So if yes. you don't want to hear spoilers, pause this right now. Go ahead and uh, hop over and play it whenever you can. On I think it's on like Switch and PC and a few other platforms. Um, it doesn't take too long. I think reading it took maybe six, seven hours. Yeah. So. But then again, I also got sidelined by the solitaire. So. <laughs> yeah, reading it took 12 hours because six of those hours were me trying to be the expert level solitaire. I beat it again this morning, so I have officially beat it twice. Oh, I'm I got, very proud of myself. I, got, I only beat it once. I got very close this morning and then I made a foolish mistake in my hubris oh no i was like halfway like i only had a few left um, uh, but then they were like all on the same row so uh, I had to start again yeah anyway the solitaire is good it's fun the solitaire is very good and that's like a zachtronic special like they always put solitaire in there yeah games, so. yeah so thinking about the story of eliza what we do is we follow evelyn as she starts back work um as an eliza proxy and then mm-hmm. she meets a number of people, both that she's never met before, who are involved with work in Eliza, and other people mm-hmm. from her past. So she meets Erland, who is, like, fresh out of school, the new, like, chief engineer of Eliza, and he's, like, very idealistic and has some, like, really, really, like, strong passion and motivation, but then is also really worried about the ethics of what he's doing with the project and also feels out of his depth yeah evelyn kind of ends up being a mentor to him Mm -hmm. and i think he's a really interesting character because he kind of reflects her in an interesting way like he is dealing with the same conflict she is Mm -hmm. um and at a much more earlier stage like he's still kind of bright-eyed like we can yeah we can use eliza and no 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 but then he's already starting to realize the kind of choices he'll have to make as part of skanda yeah and so there that's an interesting dynamic of him kind of voicing his concerns and her responding back like it's very vocal of these issues like the sort of things that she thinks that maybe would have been helpful for her to hear years Mm -hmm. ago but also you know the situations are also drastically different right and then also you meet uh ray who uh ray ray ray's ray's a very good character ray's a fan favorite here on say it in red i have a lot to say Um, about ray yes to the point where i don't want to start because then (laughs) we might need more setup yeah so i'll just summarize real quick so ray is the manager of three different eliza offices the three that operate in seattle and she is one of the people who meets Evelyn, like, very first scene of the game, very start of it, and sort of helps you through. And she also bakes cookies for everybody, and she mm-hmm. talks to you a lot about what it means to, like, do this work and help people, even though she also knows that, like, okay, there is, like, like Amazon is a, a skanda rather, is a an evil megacorporation. But, like, there's also things that they're doing that are helping people. So is that something that they, like, she doesn't want to stop that just because Amazon is evil. Um, So she's a very yeah. good perspective in there. We'll get more into her, but I do think she's just a really great voice for that complexity of mm. doing good and working under a corporation you have no power in. But every power you have is in the very micro level mm-hmm. and how you can believe in what you're doing and be kind of blinded to how you are still part of the cog in a 
capitalist machine. Definitely. So she's she's very interesting to talk about. Definitely. Right. And then you meet uh well let's let's just bite the bullet and get it out of the yeah. way. Then you meet Soren. 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 We've all met a Soren. We've all met a Soren. I I I'm dearly sorry for any of us who've met more than one Soren, but I I think I've <laughs> met one or two at least. And Soren is a uh, psychologist who also works in tech as a consultant and is announcing his new breakaway technology to basically tap into people's brains and stimulate dreaming to end human suffering by like removing suffering at its root in the human brain and also he's a big idea man yeah he's a big idea man he's also a big scumbag man like he's a bit skeevy he's extremely skeevy he's the sort of dude who like so he never does anything to evelyn in terms of like he never like directly touches her or or says anything that sort of like entraps her but also you get the vibe that like he's always that dude who's just like one drunk dial away from being like hey girl you up and he's always leaving the door open like in all conversations he's like and the door is open but we'll close it if you don't want yeah it's just really uncomfortable as far as yeah, nobody asked, dude, if the door to your bedroom was open, but he's like, hey, but it's open. But we're at, even when we're in a work situation, the door is always open. Yeah. And then you have Rainer, who is the CEO of Skanda. And Rainer is sort of scummy in a different way in that he's... He is deeply charming. He's, yeah. He's got the charm. He's got... Not really seduction isn't the word since we were just talking about Soren, It's very like, charisma. It's very charismatic. Yeah. He's he's the voice of capitalists. <laughs> yeah, he's like a visionary capitalist. He yeah. firmly believes that, first off, like, none of us have power to actually do anything other than what's already going to happen because of the way the world is. Like, Yes, this rich CEO <laughs> has no power besides his ideals that are will happen regardless oh yeah exactly exactly so and and then he also believes that like oh it's uh you know it would be great to have evelyn back working for skanda on eliza again because she could pick up just where she left off and it would be very expedient you know like it would be so expedient for her to start work there and she'll get it she'll get his vision of the future yeah um it's uh yeah, that's a lot. And uh, and then the last main character that you meet is Nora. Nora. Nora, I say dreamily. Um, <laughs> Nora is one. I have a note for under Nora. It says chaotic gay. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's basically what you need to know. Nora is one of Evelyn's uh, former co-workers and colleagues. Um, I think they went to school together, too. And they worked on the Eliza project. But Nora got extremely disillusioned with tech and the Mm -hmm. crunch and burnout culture of tech. And also just like the lack of ethical consideration a lot of people at Skanda sort of gave the work that they were doing. And just dropped out of it all completely and now she makes electronic music at a club where her dj name is little sappho um Mm -hmm. in case you thought that the game was being subtle and we were joking when we said chaotic gay she's great she she's she's amazing she plays music and gives everyone like gay experience it's awesome yeah 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 (laughs) there that this this game normally if like i don't like seeing or hearing the word lewd 
Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't like it. Um, it, I guess it gives not really in my vocabulary. Yeah, it's it's something that gives me the same sort of feeling as like you know some people say that moist gives them like a bad. Right. I mean, like I'm fine with moist. It's weird, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that that one word is always like. Mm, but then they like. It's used in this game in describing the way that Nora's music makes Evelyn feel. And I'm like, you know what? I Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Same. Sure. Same. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm just one, one useless lesbian. It's, yeah. But Nora's great. And she's a nice voice for outside the system, whereas everyone else is in the system. Yeah. Absolutely everyone else actually. Like there I don't think there's any other character other than the the clients for Eliza that you mm -hmm. talk to who is outside of tech. Right, right. And I did write down the different clients that you meet. I don't know how we want to get into that because mm -hmm. they each kind of they're a good representation of different themes within the game and mm -hmm. kind of how you what things that you may br be bringing yourself into this topic. Because Eliza, in general, just goes real deep into tech, in depression, and, you know, different work relationships, and the struggles of trying to succeed, so. Yeah, and, and creativity a lot. Like, mm -hmm. it's really nice to be able to see um, how much of the, like, the experience people really have. In, in these fields is in this game and I'll talk about that a little bit more later because it comes up in the interviews with the writer a lot but you can really tell that like this game is written from a place of of like deep experience mm -hmm. um for a lot of these different issues and stances like whether it's the like the tech burnout or the ethical dilemma of like do i keep working here or do i walk away from everything or even like uh god one one client who's like struggling to make it as an artist and get noticed so that she can like yeah. make art her livelihood all of that is really really personal and feels very very real right one thing i have notes for is as far as kind of how the sessions go mm. is that you actually get, like, prompts from, like, Eliza is reading the conversation as it's going on. So, like, you get prompts about whether the words, the words that they are saying and kind of breaking them down into, like, negative and positive. And then you also get, like, their uh, heart rate and respiration and mm. vocal distress. So, like, it's giving you that, it's kind of a little extra information into how Eliza is processing this conversation. While you are also, since it's being acted, you are also getting... You're also making your own assessment, mm -hmm. and it's kind of interesting to have that. It's, I mean, it's cohesive. Like Eliza has a good understanding of what's going on. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to have that frustration with being in the position of Evelyn, because as you're watching this conversation go through, you at the end of the day, Eliza has very limited prompts. Mm -hmm. She will say, you know, how do you feel about that? How does this how make you feel? And at the end of each session, it ends with, okay, based on this. I can recommend that you use our app under this thing. This specific app will ma will maybe make you feel better. Maybe 
maybe it's a fishing thing or a meditation thing or a special place kind of thing, but they're all apps under Skanda. And then I will recommend you some medication that you can go and talk to your doctor about. Yeah. And some of these things would be useful for these people, but there's nothing more complex. Like you can't, you can't address, be like, hey, your anxiety here is coming from this specific issue because Eliza is not built for that service. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and very early on when Ray is talking about, uh, or when Ray is talking to Evelyn, Evelyn's like, is there an option for referring them to, you know, more professional care? And uh, Ray is like, well, there was a plan for that, but it didn't go through. And it's kind of like, yeah, it probably wasn't worth it for Skanda to, you know, have this. Skanda is best off being the cheapest option for people who can't really afford professional care. And so, yeah, I guess a competitor thing almost like Eliza wants to be your option. Yeah, like, so obviously, if there's someone, what is it? I think Ray lines it out that it's like, okay, so there was a period of time where it was on like the development roadmap and now it's mm-hmm. not on the development roadmap or like we we silently passed that point in the development yep. roadmap and it just didn't happen. Um, And I think it's probably because it sounded like a really good idea, especially mm-hmm. when you're pitching to investors. Mm-hmm. But then in practice, it doesn't make Skanda any more money to then refer right. a client to like, for example, you might say that like, things are serious enough. I think this client needs an assisted living facility or might need a social worker or something like that. And unless it's a child, like unless there's like child neglect or abuse suspected in which Skanda is explicitly legally required Mm -hmm. to report something to the police, then they, you know, it's not going to do anything, anything positive for the bottom line. And I think a couple characters even mention this throughout there like one of the criticisms of Rainer is um that Soren has that's actually a kind of spot on is that Rainer is perfectly fine with people staying miserable because it's actually yep. good for Eliza's like numbers and and mm-hmm. uh the bottom line because the more people are miserable and the poorer access they have to other tools of mental health the better it is for the turnover rate in Eliza offices Right. And it's another interesting thing to point out, which isn't explicitly said at any point in the actual game, but and not, I'm very pro-medication, but it is interesting that I wouldn't be surprised, considering the state of capitalism and medication, that Skanda could very easily have some sort of deal with mm. the medications that it's promoting. Just Oh, absolutely. I think it's not get... said, but I think it's it would happen. Yeah, there's sort of a little bit in the um in the mentions of Holiday, the older woman who comes mm-hmm. in a couple times and she she does mention that there was medication recommended to her. She asked her doctor about it. He wrote a prescription and she went to the pharmacy and they said it's not covered by whatever plan you have. It's right. $162 and right. there is a generic, but your doctor would have to write a separate prescription and mm-hmm. she didn't have to ask she didn't ask about that. Because Skanda didn't tell her about that one. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, definitely you can see all the different ways just through, like, a couple sessions. The way that Eliza works through its UI, which is actually really, really clever, I think, that they kept the UI up there the whole time. Yeah, yeah. 
And then you also sort of see its limitations. And we can talk about like you feel the limitations because Mm -hmm. and this is one of the ways in which I think it it is very astute with how visual novels work in that Mm. you get you get prompted by Eliza what what she wants to say. So it's like, how do you feel about this? And then you select Evelyn saying, how do you feel about this? So it's, and that's so your it, only choice. And it feels so it feels like you're actively you you are making an action and that act and the only action that you can do is to respond or yeah. to, to say what Eliza wants you to say, follow the prompt. Yeah. And so it feels like something you're doing, like you are actively being Evelyn following the prompt instead of her just seeing that having Eliza say that and having Evelyn say it on her mm-hmm. own, you have to click it. So you are a part of the process of mm-hmm. the prompt. Yeah. And it ends up coming up again later on in the visual novel, not really interesting way, which we will get to. But yeah, uh, it's it's set up really well to have that tension. You feel with Evelyn this frustration in not being able to, to what's the word I'm looking for? Go away from the prompt. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't, you can't stray from the prompt. Stray from the prompt. There we yeah. go. One of the strengths of visual novels as a medium is that you do have a feeling of of your own choice and agency within the flow of the story. And mm-hmm. one of the cool ways that I think Eliza plays with that is by giving you a lot of agency in a lot of other ways. Like, so Evelyn gets a lot of choices about how she responds to different characters in text messages and conversations. For for like some characters, you can like respond in like one of four ways every time they bring something up. Mm-hmm. And that I mean, like those aren't things that count towards like a different end route, but they do give you a lot of really unique dialogue in each case. So it feels like you have agency in directing the sort of tone of Evelyn's interactions with these people. And tone is a big part of it. Like that, yeah. like you are you are affecting how Evelyn feels about it to mm-hmm. a certain extent, and that and that gives you agency as the player. Yeah, even in very even in very simple choices, like two options, or most yeah. of them are just a choice between two options, but you are choosing the tone. Yeah, and then yeah. contrast that with the Eliza sessions where it's like, here's what Eliza wants you to say, and you have to pick that because neither you nor Evelyn have any choice in this. You know, you'll get fired mm-hmm. as a proxy if you don't follow the prompt, and right. the prompt doesn't give you any flexibility. There's even an interesting thing in, like, the very first client, I think. Yeah, I was going to actually just go break through the whole oh. first client because that's – it's really – it's really yeah. great how the visual novel starts with this client because it's mm-hmm. one of the more intense ones and it's just like starting off putting you in that position of tension with with your lack of control yeah um so the first character that you meet as a client is darren who is struggling with depression and he's spiraling to a certain extent he's focusing on his anxieties about the state of the world about how he feels so different from his co-workers who seem to be loving life and just an overall frustration that no one else seems to be as anxious about the state of the world as he is, or at least on the outside, they don't seem to be. Um, so he pretty much from the gate is feeling agitated and doesn't respond well to Eliza's very mechanical responses to it. So very, very soon after when he's really getting riled up, he just starts begging Evelyn to respond to him outside of Eliza's prompt and within Eliza's prompts allows straight up it gives Evelyn the the prompt to say hey I'm not supposed to be doing this 
but hi, I'm Evelyn. I'm listening. I can't do this for very long. That kind of thing, like in in the script. So it's almost presenting to Darren this idea that Evelyn is breaking from yeah her her prompt when she's not and it is really it it feels complex because you know that evelyn is was already feeling frustrated this is what she kind of wanted to do but Mm -hmm. it feels manipulative because it's the system doing it yeah it's very much a window into the amount of attention and detail they put into sort of that manufactured authenticity in Mm -hmm. eliza interactions where like Mm -hmm. They expect most clients will probably be fine with this, but then they built in like this little fail safe in case anyone is like, okay, well, I'm not fully buying into this. Prove to me that like, you know, show me that this isn't just the machine talking and I'm talking to a real person. And then so the machine actually has a routine for that. Right. And like they specifically added it as a response to the fact that people weren't always were struggling with Mm -hmm. talking to Eliza and they just built it straight in to give the illusion of it. So mm. it's yeah it's yeah it's a very intense opening very well acted and it's just a great setup for the kind of tension that Eliza has. Yeah, and Darren's case is also like something that I think is is like a broadly relatable especially for any of us who I mean like Thanksgiving was yesterday. Um <laughs> There are a lot of us right now, both in pandemic time and uh, the world more broadly, like there are a lot of people who's like my family definitely is not really worried about anything right now. (laughs) They don't really particularly see any sort of problems or issues. And meanwhile, I'm like, um... Well, you know, like it's been 2020 is a year and 2019 was a year and 2017 and 18 and 16 and 15 and 14 and 13. And there have been a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Basically, we have all either been Darren or we have friends who are, who are Darren, not are Darren, it's not a state of being, but we've all kind of watched or experienced ourselves spiraling about life. Yeah. The life of 2020. So it was just very relatable, both to not really know what you can say to him and also being, also empathizing with what he's feeling and understanding completely where he's coming from. Yeah. And also just to make this evergreen, we'll just dub in 2021 whenever that turns over, because I'm pretty sure that we'll probably, it'll be applicable in 2021 too. Um, So we'll just like dub that in afterwards so that this is still current and up to date. All right, so to move on to another client, uh, yes. we alluded to her earlier, Maya, Maya Lee, who is just yeah. so relatable. Um, uh. I was thinking, I was thinking earlier about. So Maya is a character who is an artist who is struggling to find her footing in kind of art social spheres. Who feels like she's not getting anywhere. Who both has conflicting feelings of not feeling like she's good enough, but then also feeling like she's better than some artists who are getting attention. Mm. She's just dealing with all that, um, and it's very relatable. She, she just can't not. She cannot see herself in a positive light, and it's just affecting everything around her. Yeah. And I thought it was really funny just to do this one and be like, well, we're here we are starting our podcast <laughs> in in the middle of a pandemic in 2020 when I think a lot of people are starting a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how in, it goes. In fact, I was able to get my um I was able to get my fancy blue Yeti microphone because someone earlier in the year got it to try out streaming and stuff and and that did not work out for them. Both Runa and I are people who make creative projects and Yeah. We know the struggle of 
finding an audience. So yeah, it's it's it difficult. It's difficult, especially when you're doing it on a small scale. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of us that want to create things, and the good thing is that there are lots of ways to create things, especially like you know, visual mediums, art. I think mm-hmm. Maya is specifically like an artist who's trying to get into. I can't tell if they were they were trying to be more specific, but it sounds like she's trying to get into like she's like a web comic artist mm-hmm. and trying to really break into the scene get like some good readership get a lot of people supporting her and that's like a struggle that that is real to a lot of us like it's not even necessarily that you always want to be popular but right it's true that in a capitalist system if you don't have yay so many followers and can't like unless you've got like some source of money coming in from somewhere else Right. You can't just make the art you want to full time unless you're able to really make money off of it. And that requires, you know, having a certain amount of acclaim and following. And the thing with Maya, when she first comes in, she is actually struggling because she's been invited to this party where a lot of successful artists that she admires is going and she's really looking down on herself like why was I even invited to this party but also I need to go to this party I need to I need to make not alliances uh connections (laughs) connections I need to make alliances (laughs) an alliance of artists to fight off the non-artists um no she needs to make connections she needs she needs other people who will help her get her art out there an alliance of artists to fight off the cal arts (laughs) (laughs) but she doesn't really she can't see that she can't see the way that other people would be seeing her that they would invite her to this party and like from my perspective in evelyn's shoes i'm like well you were invited to this party so Mm -hmm. you are welcome there and you Clearly, you are meant to be there. You were invited. And clearly, basically, you know what I mean. She, yeah. She she was invited. This is a space for her to be in. But she's so down on herself that she can't take that step with it. She's kind of always cutting herself off in that way. Yeah. She doesn't believe she belongs there, even though clearly if they, right. like, someone has asked her to be there, then she belongs mm-hmm. there. And right. she can't really, like, she needs to make connections, but also she doesn't feel like she either deserves it or can make a connection with these people because she feels right. like they're in different spheres and orbits. It's, re- yeah, it's it's very, very painfully real. And I guess, I don't know if at this point we want to talk about how these clients' story arcs end. That might be the easiest way to do it. Yeah, I think so. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk through, because Maya, I think, is the client we see the most out of anybody mm-hmm. in the game. She's, she's a regular, so she's she comes, I think, every week or something like that mm-hmm. but um so hers kind of resolves with her deciding you know i just need to step back i need this i'm not happy doing mm-hmm. this maybe i need to get a job as a teacher teaching art and maybe that'll give me the space like it's not my first my first plan but this isn't working this isn't making me happy so i gotta try something else so yeah yeah and that's a really difficult step especially for i mean like you know it's always really hard when you have to reevaluate like the direction your life is going because it's not really like we live in a very forgiving society for that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So who else have I got? I've got, so we mentioned Holiday earlier. She's mm-hmm. an older woman established through, through the way she talks. And also she's probably a good, a good character to talk about the system that's implemented through Eliza 
kind yeah, of halfway through. Transparency mode. Yeah, which is the transparency mode, which is basically giving up all your data to Eliza and Skanda. And the idea that Eliza can then read through your communications and determine, you know, what is an issue for this person right now. Basically, just more data, more answers according to Skanda. I'm not really sure that's true, but Holiday's concern, a big one, is that she's struggling with money. Yeah, and then she never talks about it is the thing. So it's like that's that's one of the interesting things is that so it's very clear in Holiday's first meeting with uh, Evelyn and and with Eliza, really, that Holiday is one of the people that the system struggles to really respond to. Right. It's always trying to prompt her to like, is there something specific you would like to say today? If there's any specific concerns you'd like to share, please don't hesitate. But Holiday really sort of like goes very stream of consciousness all over the place. And she talks about a lot of different things and never really touches on the sources of her actual anxiety. And so, like, clearly this, like, you can not only see limitations of Eliza, but you really start to see the different sorts of characters that are in this game cover, like, a really broad scope of, like, people in society at very different levels of, of, like, ability to support themselves and find other mental health options. Like, Holiday seems to be struggling so much, like, I don't know if she would be able to find a therapist outside of Eliza, but at the same time, you know how much is eliza really actually helping her i mean it's clear what holiday needs is support systematic support and Mm -hmm. evelyn comes away from her first meeting with her just being frustrated like isn't there something else we can do like she needs help skanda and eliza are not built to help her i mean yeah definitely it's one of those things that's like not even necessarily just the the like referral system but you know Skanda and Eliza aren't set up in a way that can at all affect, you know, I mean, ironically, Skanda is such a big company, they probably could actually do things like Mm -hmm. set up assistance programs throughout Seattle, like it would not be even a drop in the bucket for them which like that would change the way that eliza's recommendations went drastically because you know imagine the the difference that they could make for people if their sort of methodology was instead of like here's a virtual reality app on your phone that you should do for 15 minutes so that you feel at peace and instead they were like here's like uh an assistance program where we can just like give you money for extra medications or like lower the cost of of your prescriptions every single month. And like, you know, obviously that's not going to work because they can't monetize that part. But, you know, it's it's one of the things that really makes you see the limits of Eliza as it is deployed by a large corporation that's still seeking to run it with a profit motive. Yep. Um, so next on my list is Harriman. <laughs> oh, God, Harriman. <laughs> Har- Harriman, Harriman. Uh, Harriman is, a, is kind of delightful just because like uh it's very it's it's very different than all the other ones it's just like yeah. all right you mess you messy man <laughs> you messy you messy messy man uh i i do love like his, his voice actor does such a very good job of capturing this energy of like an english major grad student who is like desperately pining over a woman in his program and is like so nervous about it and his first meeting just sounds like oh this this is like a cute dork who is very anxious about romance and doesn't know how to approach a girl even though Mm -hmm. he's like in his in his like what like mid-20s early 30s something like that and then later on you find out that first 
it went really well when he talked to this girl. Mm-hmm. And second, he's like, by the way, I hadn't mentioned my girlfriend that I already had separate. Well, from if this I'm not mistaken, before. fiance. Oh yeah, fiance. <laughs> Just not mentioned at all. In yeah, the first not, meeting. not not mentioned at all. Not even considered. Yeah, and then he bemoans the fact that he's like, oh, I don't want to become one of these, like, the tortured English professors that always lament the, like, one woman who broke their heart, like, and writes about that woman forever. I don't want to be a cliche. God. Yeah, he's so, he's so (laughs) obsessed and worried about, I don't want to become this cliche. I don't want to do that. But, oh, God, I've ruined everything. Maybe I can salvage it with Liz, or maybe I can, maybe I can salvage things with Sylvia, or maybe Sylvia will care about me after all this. it's very much like you start to see how the treatment of symptoms through Eliza is that they're trying to treat his like feelings of being overwhelmed and the anxiety and things like that. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to reduce his feelings of of anxiety. But then like the I suppose should we talk about how his route resolves because <laughs> sure. that's that's well, fucking it's amazing. It's hard to talk about Harriman without also talking about how the end of the game goes. Yeah, so let's let's leave him off for a little bit until we get to um We'll we'll to... use him as an example for when we get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The 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 game broadly, of course, is, you know, you go through and you talk to a lot of these people and Evelyn is sort of building up to make a choice about what direction she wants to go. And so you see a lot of different perspectives throughout the game from different characters and at the end Evelyn has to make a choice, but we'll get to that when we talk about talk about the endings. First, we can talk about Mark, who <laughs> is a longtime Skanda employee, oh, yeah. long who has time. been who has been required to come to an Eliza session due to his anger issues. Yeah, yeah. He, he is an old hat, and he believes that the young new hires have it too easy. They're too lazy, and they care too much about things like self care and mental health and wellness. And like, by God. When I was younger, we would crunch 48 hours a day and we would love it. We would don't be so Don't you know so that Skanda is under attack? It will go under if we don't do all the work right now, if we don't crunch, crunch, crunch. Yeah. God, yeah. His whole thing is that he very much believes that he is like, he is like a general in Skanda's army and mm-hmm. commanding battalions of unwilling, like, two soft software engineers like oh i don't know why we have to wine and dine all these kids back in my day um and it's very you know that rayner absolutely doesn't know and doesn't care about him whatsoever absolutely and yeah he's got contempt both for like the younger generation but then also for eliza itself as like a project and an area of skanda um, cause Skanda like existed a long time before Eliza and Skanda created a lot of different products that mm-hmm. apparently Mark is really glad and proud of. Um, I mean, and I guess in the way that like, God, one of his lines is that he's so excited about the mail app. Like, could you imagine being extremely proud that you have made Outlook? Sure. Yeah. I, hey, someone had to do it. I mean, someone had to do it and Outlook does work well. It's it, sort it does of, its job. It does its job. <laughs> you know, it's it's something that feels like he he really takes ownership of a lot of this stuff as a way both to like sort of prove his superiority over mm-hmm. the younger generation and also show his contempt for the younger generation because he thinks that like, you know, Eliza is a product of this younger generation. 
Um, he's a very classic boomer who like hates millennials and Gen Z in a lot of yeah. ways, but also he has a really deeply ingrained sort of like buy-in of tech culture all the way back to like from from like old days of like crunch and like very abusive work atmospheres to like the more modern manifestations of it where it's like you're not necessarily telling people that they can't get up and take breaks but you're setting the expectation right. that like we have to get this product out the door on this date and so if it doesn't happen then this division or this department is going under or taking drastic cuts or something else like that so basically you're not telling people to crunch but you're giving them no choice but to crunch like he very much is i mean he's one of those he's got that mentality of you know i had to work really hard to get here so you should too Never, nothing should ever get easier because <laughs> I don't know. see why they should cancel anybody else's student loan debt because mm -hmm. I paid off my student loans back in 1967 when I had to pay $300 to go. That's that's him. Yeah, yeah, that's him. It's great to have him here as a representation of that mm -hmm. side of tech. He's, Definitely. He's an interesting kind of representation within Eliza's many representations of voices in tech. Yeah, and then later you just get like an email through like a like mass the, email to everyone. Yeah, like a mass email that he's like, people don't know that you can still mass email through the through the company portal, but I know how to do it. And I'm quitting. No, or did he get fired? He got fired. Yeah, he got fired because, I mean, I think it's implied that like basically he refused to really follow through on any of the recommendations and the disciplinary action taken against him. So he's just like, yeah, well, this might as well happen. And so yeah. he mass emails everybody and um yeah, it's 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 very telling the way that he acts and it I would not be surprised if a lot of people have received or seen other emails like that from people in workplaces <laughs> because it's very much uh that's not an uncommon view. I actually worked with a dude who not only like reminded me a lot of Mark, but like even sounded like Mark and mm. said the same sorts of things yeah. and it's uh yeah, it's definitely a, a prevalent sort of point of view. So the last person that I have is Gabriel. Ah, uh, Gabriel. Yeah. And maybe, you know what, we might want to take Gabriel and lead into the ending because I have some thoughts about, about Gabriel's last one that are kind of interesting to me. Okay, let's uh, let's set him up and then we'll talk about kind of yeah what we've been insinuating with these. So Gabriel basically comes in and is like, I, I need help just dealing with the thing I need to deal with. I've my, I've been recently married and we're having a baby and I'm having these other thoughts and I can't do that. I'm a man. I, I need to support the family. I can't can't deal with any of this. I just got to can't be selfish. Can't can't approach any other side of me. I just got to ignore it mm. and I got to do what I need to do for the family. And that and he yeah. won't really listen to I mean, when through Eliza, Eliza is pretty much just like, you know, what would happiness look like for you? And Gabriel's like, I I can't imagine it. Yeah, yeah. It can't can't be, it can't, it's not gonna happen, can't do it. Yeah, it's like happiness is not the goal here. The goal here is I want my family to know that I'm like, I'm fully capable of doing this and I want them to stop questioning me on this because like them questioning me on this is also kind of like drilling it into my head that like, is this what I wanted? I mean, no, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take responsibility. I have to. And there is a lot of, you know, this is what masculinity is. This is what it is to be a man. I have to do this. This is my responsibility. 
Yeah, and a lot of like negotiating the different expectations put on him, even though he doesn't vocalize it, he's constantly like basically negotiating all of the different expectations that are put on him as a father, as a husband, as a man, like as a son, even like mm-hmm. talking about the way his parents are viewing him and the way his his in laws are viewing him. So yeah, it's it's very much like okay, this is probably like a common problem that people would probably come to this sort of therapy service with right so to go into kind of how all of these clients well not all of them not all of them come back at the final uh the final session of evelyn's uh, proxying for eliza Uh basically she's talked to all the other people who worked throughout skanda her kind of viewpoints erland rayner soren also nora and ray like she's kind of been processing their viewpoints and at her her last session she decides okay i'm gonna do an experiment this is this could potentially be my last time at working with eliza but i want to see what would happen if i deviate from eliza's prompts so for that one kind of trail of sessions for that day you as the player have the option to either follow the prompt or say something else yeah and it's and and some of those prompts are very similar Uh some of them deviate and it's it's kind of it's impressive how freeing it feels just to have a different option. It's not you're not going through a series of choices. It's just prompt or what Evelyn actually wants to say. Mm-hmm. And it feels very freeing just to do that. I so my first time playing through Eliza back when it kind of first came out, I actually kind of alternated between the two. Mm. I kind of judged whether whether or not Eliza's prompt felt right for me or not, and if it didn't, then I would go to Evelyn's. This time I played through it twice, once only doing Eliza's prompts and once only doing Evelyn's. And it's interesting all the characters pretty much got to the same conclusion, but there was a bitterness there. Maya still decided that she was going to leave and start maybe do a teacher, but there was a real kind of giving up vibe to it. Mm. Whereas with e- when Evelyn responds, she's like, you know, sometimes you got to step back. And she kind of, I guess she gives it a new twist on it so that Maya isn't just seeing this as a failure. And Maya comes out of it much more hopeful Mm -hmm. which was really nice to see and that we also get Harmon (laughs) and it it is very nice to be able to we we listen to his diatribe about you know how he's created the situation and how he's everything's so bad for him and Evelyn just straight up is like no dude you need to stop acting like you're the only person whose feelings matter in the situation. Yeah, how, God. How does your fiancé feel? How do you think Sylvia, this girl that you've been pining for and that you slept with and then had a fiancé that she probably <laughs> didn't know about, you know, how does she feel? Like, <sighs> take yourself out of the center of this problem and approach it in a different way, too. Yeah, yeah. That one was one of, that's one of the most satisfying moments in the game to just be able to, like, literally tell him, like, because Eliza obviously kind of has has very soft and gentle measured responses. Yeah. But sometimes, like, the dude in your MFA class really does need to just hear someone say that it's it's not about you and there right. it's not about your anxiety that you're going to turn into your old crotchety English professor who's always talking about the one girl he had an unrequited crush on 30 years ago like that yeah sure that anxiety is real but like is that anxiety more 
pressing than like this very huge and real hurt that you've done to Mm -hmm. other people in your life. Mm -hmm. One thing about how Evelyn talked about Eliza that I think is really a good way of getting perspective on what Eliza is meant to do and where it fails is that is this idea of Eliza being a mirror Mm. where sometimes you just need to voice things like if you if it's in your head sometimes you just need to talk it out and we kind of skipped over this but um evelyn goes in to have her own session with eliza so that's the point where we we are seeing what it looks like to be on the other side to have a proxy talking out eliza's prompts Mm -hmm. um and evelyn uses it that way as something to kind of speak out the things that she's been processing over the course of the game she doesn't get anything more than that but she is kind of given the space to talk about it and i think that's what eliza is meant to do is to talk about it but in my perspective at least sometimes you can go into a spiral if all you have is your own feedback sometimes it can be helpful to talk it out sometimes you you have to by putting it into words, you kind of maybe lose some of the, you know, fear in what you've been stressing about, or maybe you can come to your own conclusions just by working it out. But sometimes you need someone else to be like, hey, I don't, I don't see you that way. I don't see the situation that way. And I think that's kind of where, where the limits of Eliza, you can really feel it is when someone needs a different voice than their own. Yeah, absolutely. Because like even Eliza's, there's like phases in Eliza that are loosely tied to like um, cognitive behavioral therapy. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Mm -hmm. like there's even a phase called like the challenge phase. But for Eliza, all that challenge means is that you're you're challenging in the therapeutic sense of like, hey, maybe you should think about this in a different way. Or that's that sort of things like imagine you could have one thing you wanted right now, what would that look like? Or what does happiness for you look like? And sometimes when you are spiraling in existential dread and catastrophizing, which, you know, I've never done. (laughs) um, Really, honestly, being alone with your thoughts or reflecting on your thoughts, or even just voicing them is nowhere near as helpful or good for you as just having someone else be there to sort of like metaphorically or literally grab your shoulders and say, hey, hold on, like, let's, let's stop this for a moment. And this think thing about you keep this telling yourself way. isn't true. Like yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. And like, sometimes you need that sort of voice to listen to you and and, like a space to put your thoughts into words. And then other times you need you need something to ground you, you know. And I think Gabriel's probably a really good character to talk about this stuff for. Yes. Um, What were you thinking about? What did you want to discuss as far as Gabriel? So like, there's a lot of interesting stuff because... One thing that I do like about Gabriel's last session is so nothing is ever very clear or explicit about what exactly Gabriel's problem is that he right. like the what is it that Gabriel wants that he can't have that he feels like he like will he, not voice it. He will not yeah, voice it. He will not. And there's nothing you can do to sort of like dig that out, which I think actually works really well, because first off, there's a lot of different things that that could be. And all mm-hmm. of them are just as real and like feel imminently like detrimental to like the, the idea of living like that normal standard, like right. I'm going to fulfill my responsibilities in this very very standard vision of a sort of like cis hetero 
mm-hmm. lifestyle being like the man of the house. So it's like, is Gabriel bisexual? Is Gabriel like trans? Is Gabriel having gender feelings? Is Gabriel just like somebody who doesn't like, like, is monogamy not a thing that Gabriel's into? Is sex not a thing that Gabriel's into? Is Gabriel just really, really, really fucking into like wood carving and his family just fucking hates it? Like, you don't know, but it does really feel like he's burying a really huge part of himself that he's never really thought that he was allowed to explore. Which, I mean, obviously that's something that, like, a lot of people um, can relate to in one way or another, and something that feels like... Like, he talks talks about, you know, getting married and having a baby as kind of, like, being on tracks, and yeah, Yeah. like, he, he knows what he's supposed to do, and he did it, but now he's in it and he never got the chance to really explore this part of himself and when he tries to talk to you know his wife or his Mm -hmm. family members he's told that he's being selfish and it's he cannot envision a future where he can be happy and he can also support his wife and child yeah yeah and this is like again we don't know what gabriel's actual like actual struggle is and what it is that he talked to his wife and family about right but you know like it it feels very similar to a lot of the times like so i know a lot of older trans women who Mm -hmm. um live in the city that i live in and we talk a lot about what it means to be trans and like different generations and things like that and like a number of them have been like out and trans for like 40 years but then there are some people who are like in their 60s and just realizing or like um there's one woman who's like turning 50 And just realizing that, like, at the point when her kids had graduated college that, like, okay, I'm finally going to talk to my wife about this and, like, say that this is something that I've wanted for a while and I'm finally sort of realizing it. And, like, like the, the pain that they go through having to, like, both shove that down for years and years because you know a lot of people do decide that like whether it's about gender or sexuality or or something else like okay my kids can't like aren't ready to hear about this my parents or my wife they're not ready to hear about this i can't bring it up because it will upset everybody and it'll upset everything so what i'm going to do is the quote responsible thing Mm -hmm. and just sort of like shove that part aside for like 30 years and be completely miserable and it's i mean it's something that a lot of people live with and it's really difficult too because i've not met any anyone who also was like oh i just want to abandon my my kids and family right um it's that in fact that's normally why they're willing to do it is because they feel like you know they have to do this in order for this to happen um, you know, for them to actually take care of the people that they care about. Right. Gabriel's story is, like, really, really, like, it hits on a lot of really good parts that you don't see in a lot of games that either address, like, masculinity or fatherhood or even just, like, the general expectations that people put on you as, like, a young parent. Mm-hmm. And Gabriel ends with Evelyn basically just voicing, like, Hey, just reevaluate. Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure that you can't support them and do something about your situation so that you mm-hmm. can be happy? Like, just consider it. 
just start thinking about it. Just work on it. Don't block it. Mm-hmm. And Gabriel kind of comes out of it being like, okay, I, I'll think about it. I don't I don't think I can, but I'll, I'll consider it. I'll come, I'll come back. And it's something. Mm-hmm. And Eliza wasn't going to do that. Uh, Eliza was just going to be like, well, meditate. Yes, here, you know? Gabriel, I'd like you to try a, a program called Dolphin Smiles. You can find it in your Skanda <laughs> Wellness app. Try it for about 15 minutes every day in the morning and evening. It may help you take your mind off of, you know, the crushing existential crises that are facing you in the world. And something I haven't talked about, I don't know if we mentioned the kind of cell phone aspect of this visual novel. Basically, it's it's a menu. Uh, where you can go through oh, yeah. uh, interactions with other characters like emails and messages. But what one aspect of it that I think is really interesting is that it has like a little kind of meditation. It, like it's not meditation, but it like opens up to a, a nice soothing gif with so- soothing music. I think yeah, it it's showing you what ca- these kind of calming apps still have to offer. Like the, like it's not an a negative to want like meditation and stuff like this is something that some people need to recenter themselves and you can Mm -hmm. kind of feel that when you're when you're doing that small little music moment on your phone or when you're playing solitaire um yeah i really i really like that it approached that way kind of holistically to be like yeah it it doesn't work for eliza to just be like here's an app it'll help you Mm -hmm. meditate you maybe you'll feel better but Sometimes that's what people need in a day, just to stop and be like, oh. Yeah. So I think I I really like that aspect of the visual novel as a whole, just to be like, hey, this is also nice, but it's not holistically how we can deal with mental health. Yeah, it, it does a really good job, this game as a whole. It really, really does a good job of presenting the fact that a lot of these things are tools right. and there's not really like Eliza is run by like the Amazon analog, but like Eliza is not evil. Right. It's, it's a tool right. and the meditation apps are a tool and like the medications that some people can get and other people can't are tools. And the way that they're, they're utilized is really telling about like the different goals, different characters have and the different outlooks that they have. But like, yeah, in the end, it's a tool and it's really, really nice to have that app on Evelyn's phone because it really does. It has like nice little like thematic changes as you go through the story as well. And also just like those apps are really nice. Like sometimes you just want like some nice little like ASMR style <laughs> style music on your phone or like do like a little mindless gaming for a moment to just like chill and decompress. I, I did like that. Something I will say, which is something that the uh, visual novel as a whole is really grappling with, and this can maybe get us back into talking about Ray and the other characters and their perspectives again, and kind of the mm. endings. They're, each character kind of represents a different perspective ending. But I think there's a real question of, can Eliza as a tool ever actually be used for good? Because it is a data collecting technology. Is it? Is there any way that it won't be used for capitalist gain and mm-hmm. the answer at least within this system and and our own is probably no um <laughs> there no matter what uh this is collecting data and data can be sold and data can be used to manipulate it can be used to sell products for capitalism you know is there a way to create a tool that gathers information that but then that 
information is never used in an unethical way. Um, mm-hmm. There's one moment after they've unlocked the transparency mode where Evelyn is sent the data of Soren. His his transparency yeah. mode, which basically just gives Evelyn a look at his personal life. And he is a competitor to Gonda and to uh, Rainer. So, and Rainer is specifically doing this so that Evelyn can see, you know, the messiness of Soren's life. And it's a, pa- it's a power to have this data. And Evelyn has, recognizes that that is how this is being used. Yeah. I mean, like, there's, there's like, an email you get at one point that mentions that, that mm-hmm. there was, like, a data breach for mm-hmm. one of their partners. There's the fact that, like... Erland was talking about how they want to move out different processing like and test sites and just like copy all of Eliza's data all of the like you know all of the different things that people have told Eliza which gets stored and processed in there as like emotional data and the things that you see scrolling as you go through sessions like all of that just copy and paste it and give it out to a dozen different sort of like contractors that you know maybe they've got secure data connections or maybe not or maybe they're going to like use this to develop an app to like better market different types of home goods to you like maybe they're going to do it to figure out what's the most effective pop-ups that they can get you and that's the difficulty is that like Eliza is a tool but it's also very hard to divorce that tool from the fact that Skanda has full control and I mean like by extension Rainer is sort of driving the reins of <laughs> what <laughs> yeah um yeah. he's a uh, it, it's it's very much like the game acknowledges and very much spends a lot of time talking about like this is very very big data and is this something where you can use it? Like, is this something where like a coder or a chief engineer programmer could like get in and work on it and, and make it work for right. good? And in a capitalist know, society. Yeah. No, the most you can do is I guess like harm reduction. But even that, when we see, we'll talk about the endings later, but like the amount of harm reduction that Evelyn is able to do is, is not, yeah. is not that great. Not, not compared to what you might think of when you're like, Oh, I'm going to stay in the system right. and make it better. But like Erland, Erland talks about that a lot about how he's got all these ideals, but now as he's worked through Skanda, how much has he already compromised that he hasn't even considered that he and will continue to and... be pushed to compromising more because this is his job. Exactly. Yeah, like the best he can do is like try and keep the keep the wheels from turning like mm-hmm. at full speed, but you know that's that's not always even going to be like a good positive outcome. So yeah, so each of the endings are broken up by who Evelyn decides kind of to align with. Mm -hmm. To a certain extent, she gets kind of a future that is representative of being in that character's sphere or being in that character's life. So of course, Rainer is one option, Soren, Ray, Nora, or no one. Yeah, and the no one ending is kind of like Evelyn on her own. And she has a nice moment with Erland, and they kind of talk about, you know, what it means to step away from the project. Yeah, yeah. And she basically decides, look, I'm going to move away from this. I I want to focus on myself, and I want to figure out more about my family and the things about my life that I've been kind of avoiding for a long time. So very much internal. So... Back when, after this game came out, there was one ending that I heard a lot about more than others. <laughs> uh, as far as, you know, 
reviews and write-ups and stuff, and it was Rainer's ending. So, so Fuck. we might as well talk about it. Um, yeah, let's talk about Rainer, Rainer's fucking ending. So, basically, prior to the resolution of the game, Rainer more or less gives Evelyn this speech about, you know, sure, Eliza started as a mental health application, but it could be something much broader than that. It's getting so much data. We could theoretically use all this human data to create the first ever actual artificial intelligence. Join me in my mission <laughs> to create this all super much better than human society. Yeah. Tech. All all hail the yeah. future. Yeah, he he um yeah, tech CEOs are on something and I mean like they're on a different level, I guess. And he is definitely on a different level of something in this in, in this route. But I mean like he he very much wants to like he thinks that he is just another part of a bigger machine and that if, if he didn't do it, someone else would. And they need to be the people who are like at the forefront creating the next stage of of intelligent life like a greater intelligent life than humans and that's their only role and that's very like that's such a tech point of view this if we don't make it someone else will oh absolutely absolutely the like yeah amazon being like yeah if we don't listen if we don't literally create a monopoly of the entire world and get every single person to use our our mental health app then someone else will might as well be me yeah, might as well be us. <laughs> uh, I I find Raiders ending interesting from... So when I first played Eliza, I was actually... And we'll get into all the different breakdowns of the endings. But I was actually kind of disappointed that there wasn't one that followed kind of my experience with it. Since, like I said before, when I got to the final sessions of proxying mm. uh i was kind of going i was kind of using eliza as you know using eliza's prompts when they seemed to fit well and so i kind of approached it as literally a therapy tool mm -hmm. and ray's ending maybe comes closest to that relationship but what i what i started thinking about was you know the future of technology not as artificial intelligence but as like cybertech like yeah. in implementing this data and tools, you know, as part mm. of being human, like part of our structure, our tools, like as we get a stronger relationship with technology and the more technology is going to be us. So, yeah. so it was kind of jarring to only see Rainer's ending approaching tech. Well, Soren's also is in a different way, but yeah. basically they're both sort of dystopian yeah. in, in, in their flavor. Right, Soren's is more like, you can be a utopia by turning off your brain. And <laughs> Rainer is like, we will create the next greatest living creature and we will be obsolete, yeah. but we will have created it. Yeah, Ra Rainer's ending really much does have that vibe of like, like at the end of it, uh, Evelyn's just like, oh, I'm so great at running these meetings and I'm doing so much to to get people motivated and I'm getting products out the door. And then it's like, oh, this generalizable AI is is within sight, but I don't feel anything. Like, I don't feel pride. I just feel like it's inevitable. And it's very much that sort of, like, yeah, that sort of, like, dark feeling of, oh, I guess, I guess, yeah, that is, 
maybe if you're if you're in tech really high up, you start to think things like that. I think what's interesting about it is that it's kind of taking all these aspects of capitalism talking points, but then mm-hmm. like like taking them to an extreme. So it's almost like it's like, all right, you've, you're making this argument that, you know, you got to do tech for tech. If it's going to exist, it's going to exist. And it's like, all right, so if we take this to the furthest degree, it means you're going to create something that and make us all human humanity obsolete because you've decided yeah. that tech exists above humanity. And I actually think that's a really interesting approach to, like, it's a little funny. It's a little bit like, yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're doing. But uh, if you look at the end of your trajectory there, what do you got? Nothing. You, yeah. <laughs> you got to. It's, it's also, to me, it reads very heavily like a way that, like, Rainer, obviously, excessively rich Mm -hmm. and has the freedom to like entertain thoughts of of a scale that like other people wouldn't because it's like listen you've got so many other concerns up in front of you other than this and part of it also feels like he's kind of kind of maybe not intentionally but he's definitely sort of like seeding his own responsibility for the conditions of the Mm -hmm. world by like saying like listen I may be a capitalist and my company may single-handedly be responsible for like a great deal of the of the economic calamity and the exploitation of people across the globe but really I'm also just a cog in a greater machine <laughs> building towards this this ultimate ultimate higher than human intelligence life form and so he's looking at this as like it's not a tech solution to these problems it's that like tech and capitalism and everything are really just like well can't help that it's all just in the service of creating this next life form it's quite literally as though capitalism and tech are gods like we are yeah exactly to them and have no control about how they grow at all they just they will grow and we will be there yeah and then soren's route is kind of a like it's set up both like soren and rainer are both in direct contrast to each other both in terms of like they've got different goals they've got different approaches they're like two very powerful skeezy men who are vying for evelyn's attention Mm -hmm. and devotion almost Mm -hmm. and like soren's really thinking that like yeah he's going to create technology that like you just implant it in your brain you do some low level stimulation constantly and it will change the fabric of society because you eliminate a lot of the the need for different social structures or or different well at least his thought is that this will magically eliminate the suffering right. in like a big broad sense and it very much is the attempt to be like a tech solution to poverty a mm. tech solution to chronic illness a tech solution to tech burnout if you don't feel bad about being poor or burned out then did it really happen (laughs) yeah and so the idea is that i mean like i have no doubts that like if you did change people's brain chemistry so drastically and so permanently that they never felt suffering that it would drastically change society but his idea is that doing this will like lead to a utopian vision where like economies would change and he he totally represents it as another means for productivity like he taught like yeah. so under his ending evelyn basically you know agrees to help him develop the technology and it his ending is him giving a presentation being like and evelyn has found that it's super helpful for her productivity to just have it on in the background and on the low <laughs> god yeah yeah 
it's it's still and see this is the problem is that it like other sort of big tech corporation solutions that get pitched as like this is the tech solution to x problem like really all it ends up being is in service again to furthering the tech industry's progress you know like it's it's not that this is ending evelyn's suffering because that's a noble goal um that's how soren talks about it but like in practice it's ending evelyn's suffering and then she continues on being an even more productive worker for the company it's got an interesting correlation with medication like it's like it's almost like we will do technology to replace medication but yeah it's like yeah i i love having medication to bring down my level of anxiety but medication isn't gonna like his big huge utopian plan doesn't doesn't change any structural issues it's not going to change the lives and the causes of anxiety in people's lives like Mm -hmm. Everyone just going into a dream state for forever instead of actually fixing structural problems in society is not a solution. It's just, it's literally just turning everyone into dreams. Yeah, you just like, it's, it's literally just like, well, listen, our, is our, is our, is our experience of reality really that important? Mm -hmm. And if you're like, well, Soren thinks that it's like, it's not it's not really that important so like let's just make everybody feel better and if they all feel fine like if everybody literally just feels okay about things is that not an end to suffering and it's very much like whatever you feel about you know whether or not it's it's worthwhile to end suffering as a broader philosophical concept it very much is a a guy in tech who really thinks that this is the solution to his Mm -hmm. problems is also very convinced it is also the solution to everybody's problems and he is absolutely determined to follow this through to the absolute furthest possible extent no matter what the repercussions without considering the the broader like neither soren nor rainer ever at one point or another like question if capitalism is like the the problem with a lot of people's lives and like even soren's creation just kind of leads to the same problems as rainer's like if everyone's working product productively who's getting the you know the benefits of that productivity yeah and it's still like the big corporation too because basically his goal is not i'm going to make this other company so that i have the chance to be free of skanda it's skanda is invested in it (laughs) Yeah, Skanda's invested in it. Skanda's like you do that you do you, but I mean if it's success, you know, yeah, we'll we'll take it. Yeah, he's doing it to like sort of prove his his worth to Skanda mm-hmm. in some ways early on. Like and, and Rainer even like jokes about it. it's like, yeah, well we'll we'll let him go and then if uh if he fails, that'll be fun to watch. And if, if he doesn't fail, then we can yank the leash and pull him back over and, and buy him out easily. And that's basically what happens anyway, so yeah, so now let's talk about the 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 I guess the endings that feel a little bit more more grounded in things that most of us would probably actually experience within our lifetime or have. I think some of these endings are like some things that some of us have experienced. Yeah, I really want to do a deep dive into Ray. Um mm-hmm. so throughout the game, she is kind of I mean, she's the one that uh Evelyn works mo- with most closely with and she, Yeah, as a proxy. And she kind of it's very interesting to watch her defend Skanda and to believe in it. 
she's got a lot of interesting uh, relationships with Skanda in general that I that felt very familiar to me personally. It's like like this idea that she thinks it's so amazing that Evelyn has this you know respect from Rainer when Rainer doesn't even know who she is and she's running three clinics on her own because they haven't hired more people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's the only manager for basically all of the Eliza Clinic sites in Seattle. And Rainer doesn't know who she is. Yeah, Rainer doesn't know her name. And it's like, well, why haven't they hired more people? This is a corporation. Um, So there's very much that going on. Like, Mm -hmm. Ray is very glad to have this job. She feels like she's done very well under this job, and she had... She hadn't had a career until this one came up. So she has this loyalty to Skanda and Eliza that never really shakes. And so we also get like her responding to like Nora talking badly about Eliza and getting frustrated with it. Like she takes criticisms of Eliza very personally in a way that Rainer never like Rainer doesn't care if people are talking badly about Eliza as long as it doesn't yeah well and I mean even Evelyn doesn't really take the criticisms personally she's thinking because like she has some yeah yeah she has some of the same criticisms and like she's she's the one who who sort of like built and developed a lot of the things that make Eliza Eliza um so yeah Ray is definitely like got a lot invested in the good that she sees happening at like the offices right. where where she works because like yeah like there there are moments that you see in the game where just following the prompts and using Eliza proxies are able to help some people out and so it i i do think that she really does feel like she's making a difference in places and then when she hears people criticize Eliza or Skanda by extension it's like, well, why are you, why are you being so cruel and callous about this thing that I have seen personally help people right. when I don't know, I don't know how else I myself could contribute to helping people in that way. So, you know, it's, it's definitely something that's good in her eyes, right. I think, overall. And so it's interesting to see her like jump to corporate talking points when she gets questioned about things. Like, like she she knows the corporate line and she believes in it because she believes that Eliza is doing good. So, like, when someone's like, well, why don't you do this? And so, like, well, you know, we, we planned on doing it, but it hasn't come around yet. Or, you know, this doesn't really work for Eliza because such and such and such. such. So, like, like she's, she's got all the defenses internalized. And what I love about her is that she is still so fully humanized she's not yeah this is her at work and then you go and you go and hang out with her at her house and she's she still believe like she believes in what she's doing at the job and she's very grateful to it but you also get a sense that you also get the chance to see her like outside of that role that she has to do at work Mm -hmm. and she's a much more i mean she is a very, very thoughtful person she's put a lot of thought into you know what she contributes and what what she could do better as a person like uh aspect of her plot line is that she feels like she's failed her brother who has a lot of trouble in you know functioning as society expects him to Mm -hmm. and she feels a lot of guilt that maybe she pushed too hard and like she's she's a character who really 
evaluates herself, but she's not she doesn't have the power in this in this system to really question Eliza and Skanda because yeah. she she has agency over the micro, over the interaction the individual interactions or using the tools. She doesn't have agency over changing the corporation. So it's easiest for her to believe in it because she wants she wants to do good. Yeah. And the other characters are looking at a much bigger scope. They're looking at this grand plan. Rainer, Soren, and Nora, who doesn't like what's yeah. going on. Ray sees where where the idea started from. Like she has a good grasp of what Evelyn was trying to accomplish and she is really much living it. I also love that she kind of talks about being asexual. It's really nice. That's a nice moment. Yeah. Yeah. There it's really good the way that character perspectives come in and also the way that it comes up like the way that um that ray talks about being ace Mm -hmm. is like it's something that feels very much like the way that you might bring something like that up to a co-worker when you're like over at their house and you're just like starting to build up some trust with them and you want to like like sort of ease into that part of the conversation and you're not sure how they're going to take it but you're willing to take that chance with them i mean it just it feels really authentic and it was also very much like it felt like a natural way to talk about it i think i think the i wish i could say that nora's was like <laughs> just as natural as the way that you found out that she's a lesbian Hers is like, but like i mean it's not it's 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 not necessarily that you find out because of like anything that Nora says or does. It's because Soren decides to like make a fucking joke that's like, so uh her stage name is Little Sappho. You uh You know what that means. Ha ha ha. You know what and that like, you know what yeah, that what yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I I know who Sappho is. Um, dude, what are you talking about? I know who Sappho is. I read all of her poems all the time. What are you talking about? Sorry, that was that was me, Runa. <laughs> For a second um but but yeah ray ray is a really amazing character in that she feels incredibly real and nuanced in a way that like there are points and i wouldn't consider this a bad thing at all in the game but there are points in other characters routes where you feel like the characters are sort of talking in a way that's slightly unnatural for like a normal person to right, talk they're speaking points they're they're yeah they want to articulate their perspective in like a very very concise and and effective right. way. This happens with Nora, this happens with Erland, this happens with Rainer, this happens with with Soren a lot, I think, but I don't think it really ever happens with Ray very much. She's given a lot of nuance and she she really feels like someone who who wants to buy into this and really wants to believe in what she's doing and she she knows that she doesn't really have a lot of like if she decides to not believe in it i mean she's still got to go do this right. job what's what are her real functional options in this so she's making she's trying to make something really good of the situation where she finds herself knowing she doesn't have a lot of power yeah and, and like i've i've known people like ray i've been bits of ray and the fact that like she's the kind of coworker who comes in and brings cookies and has memorized what has asked everyone what their favorite cookie is so she can bring it in and she's very much the kind of person who wants to believe in the idea of coworkers being family I feel like like she wants to have mm. that close connection with her coworkers but 
she's in a system that is always going to be it is, i think it is very clear that she is being taken advantage of in this job yeah they're absolutely i mean even if the like i'm managing three different areas and rainer doesn't know my name right. isn't a big enough indication like it's it's very obvious that she is underappreciated both in terms of like the the amount of recognition she gets it's underappreciated in terms of the amount of like pay and benefits that she's getting um the amount of support yeah. that skanda gives to her like she she lives with roommates and it's never made clear whether that's something that she does because she wants to but like there's a there's the aspect of the fact that her brother like they decided to not have him as a roommate anymore because her roommates and she were not happy with you know how he wasn't contributing but this idea to think of her as being this manager of three branches and needing to have roommates yeah multiple roommates whereas like even nora like nora's got a very small studio apartment but like nora has her own place <laughs> soren has like a really big fancy condo rainer of course just has like fucking like everything yeah. that he could possibly want yeah. for and so, yeah, it really drives home the fact that, like, Ray is constantly overlooked in a lot of ways by the other people in the company, yet she's one of the people who, like, like they really literally would not be functioning in the way that they, they do without Ray there in, in, like, running the things and making sure the Eliza proxies all have offices and everything set up and all of these other things that are essential and yet completely under appreciated by the entire architecture of like the company and i mean that both in terms of like the way that individuals putting in like a ridiculous amount of their own sweat and blood and tears into a company like that can actually really keep it afloat and make things work and fit together and i mean it's it doubly sucks i think that basically they've got one black woman running all of the branches in seattle and then also they're just going to not really pay her or give her any sort of accolades or appreciation or any sort of resources or support or do really anything to functionally make her job easier to the point where she even feels sometimes like she has to field questions about the company herself as like a communications voice for Skanda. So I guess to go into the ending that you get when you choose Ray, it involves Evelyn deciding to continue to work as a proxy, but in the meantime, work on becoming a licensed therapist. So kind of recognizing that there are limitations to what she can do as a proxy and learning more about this field that she's gotten a real value. Like, I think Evelyn probably always had a real interest in therapy and mental health considering the mm -hmm. app she made, but this is her be being like, all right, I... This is something that I'm passionate about and I want to go into it. And it doesn't resolve yeah. any, I mean, really none of these endings resolve anything, but it's still working within the system. But I don't know. It's kind of like Ray's ending and Evelyn's viewpoint at that ending kind of is like, I want to do good on individual levels. Yeah. And honestly, like I, I do, I, I didn't think about it before you mentioned it, but what you mentioned earlier about it would be really cool if she had thought about ways to integrate Eliza into 
therapeutic practice in other mm-hmm. ways. But like even as it stands, that ending was was pretty good, I think. You get to see Darren again, which I don't think you get to see in any of the other routes. Yeah, he has a nice resolution. He basically just comes back in and says, Thank you. I I keep thinking about that moment. And even though we know that that moment was... Yeah, complete artifice on Eliza's part. Right, it was still something that Evelyn wanted to do, I think. And I think that still leaves that moment being genuine, even though it's a little bit... It's it's nice to think of Evelyn being able to have that connection with people in the future without Eliza. Yeah, and you can really see, like, in that last chapter part where she goes off script and doesn't follow the prompts, like... She she has a good sense after listening to all these people talk and seeing how Eliza reacts that she's got a pretty good sense for right. it. So it's not like she's she's just like doing this on a whim. Yeah, throughout the whole visual novel, people kind of keep referring to the fact that Evelyn has a a unusual compatibility with Eliza, and they kind of speculate it's because she designed it. Um, like apparently, apparently they. They give her, like, false bat- negative reviews to kind of cover up the fact that she's getting, like, extremely oh, high. <laughs> yeah, so at the end of every session, you know, just like in everything in real life, I guess I can't joke <laughs> uh-huh. about that since there are a lot of things that happen that yeah. way. But, like, she gets, like, a little a little pop-up thing that, like, gives you f- one of four, one to four achievements that don't mean anything yeah. um, you, in the grand You went up a rank, game. it means something. Yeah, uh, you go up a rank as being a proxy. It means nothing in the grand scope of things. You get like a star rating. You get tips. Um, like all of these things are like, yeah, imagine the interface when you go to rate like a Lyft or an Uber driver after you have a ride with yeah. them. It's basically that sort of thing. And like in the grand scope of the story, the like achievement things that you get there are kind of things that you kind of gloss over because they're not really like they don't really have as huge an impact on Evelyn's experience as a proxy. And yeah, so it, it it's interesting that they did mention that's like, oh, yeah, we artificially sort of like smooth <laughs> over your uh, your rating so that none of the proxies think that they're either like getting too bad or too good a rating but like your actual rating is like astronomically great. which i also wonder if it's also to keep people from demanding raises if they're really high. <laughs> yeah see that's the other thing is that i i had a feeling it was like it was definitely something like that where like i'm sure if people's ratings are really bad they'll send them like reminders mm-hmm. about how to get them better but if like if you've got stellar ratings oh you're doing all right we'll keep you yeah 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 it's it's very much that so that no one and i mean i feel like a lot of proxies probably have that experience i mean like ray's not a proxy and she kind of has that experience too where like what there was an article that came out about her talking about how much she does for for skanda Mm -hmm. and eliza Mm -hmm. and she was like she still felt like kind of hesitant about how much it was praising her when like even that praise is like the non-monetary praise in an article that the CEOs are never going to read is like some of the most appreciation she gets about yeah. the work that she does in this game. Yeah. And it, yeah. I love Ray. Yeah. Would marry Ray. Yeah. Would be her Ray. platonic yeah. partner in a heartbeat. Yeah. See, yeah. See, this is, uh, th- this is where I'm, 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 I'm really super fond of both Ray mm-hmm. and Nora's endings mm-hmm. for, for different reasons, but like both Ray and Nora endings are, I really, really love and are dear to my heart. Yeah. I suppose that's a good transition to talk about Nora's ending. Sure. Where I mean Nora's ending isn't isn't that 
super involved, but basically, like, you know, Nora invites Evelyn over, and they start messing around with, like, making electronic music and all sorts of things, and... I guess the, there, there's like the background implication that they're also getting high and watching like AMVs <laughs> in, the, in the early morning hours. That moment hours is great. A lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and then like Nora does a show, and one of the tracks is actually a track that Evelyn worked on, and and like it was like oh, okay, we're just gonna put this one in on secret and just like see how the crowd responds. So there's like no pressure on you if it goes badly or anything, <laughs> but then like. When like it goes really well, yeah, and I think probably cute. because it, yeah, because it goes really well, Nora is like, you know what? This track isn't mine. It's actually by this woman over here. Why don't you tell everybody? Like, why? Why don't you tell her how much you love it? And it was just like Evelyn just like got overwhelmed and felt like so happy hearing all of that and seeing that she like she just created a thing that wasn't to do really anything other than like make some nice music for people yeah. and she just felt really fulfilled and satisfied with that and it was just really nice to sort of like because like that's that's a moment that I've had in creating things where I just like rather than the pressure to feel like I have to create things for some specific reason or that I'm trying to meet a deadline or anything it's just like I made this thing and I feel really good about it and people are responding nicely to it so it just feels good yeah it's it's a really good moment for Evelyn who has spent the whole visual novel really mm. internalizing like it's it's really nice when Nora is trying to teach her she's like all right just just go yeah Evelyn's like I don't know what I'm doing she's and Nora's like no, it doesn't matter you know what you know enough just yeah. stop overthinking and just do it and it's it's a great yeah. moment considering what we've seen of Evelyn who's just constantly in her head mm -hmm. there's another aspect Definitely. of that ending uh which I think is uh good to talk about too which is that there she gets me Evelyn gets messages basically a rejection from of her paper where she was trying to go to a summit and talk about you know her criticisms of Eliza oh yeah 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 uh, and that's kind of the thing about you know Nora's ending is i I feel like other people, the other characters in the visual novel kind of see Nora as this person who just up, up and left and did whatever. And But Nora is yeah. throughout the visual novel being openly critical of Eliza and isn't really getting anywhere with it. And I feel like Evelyn's kind of found her, like she's written a paper kind of criticizing, but it's like, how do mm. you, I'm in this position, how can I, you know, break up this conglomerate that's or this corporation that's got so much power. Yeah. And it's kind of this frustration at knowing, wanting to voice your criticisms, um, but not getting very far. But Evelyn does kind of think, you know, I just want to get this out to people who will listen, who who have criticisms and mm -hmm. will, you know, yeah. work at kind of, I guess, breaking the, the reliance on Eliza. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's definitely like, She's trying to, she's finding her footing in figuring out how to, how to actually like voice her concerns and her hesitations and the things that she actually thinks are like, hey, we should, we should think about this more carefully before we just like dive all in or like here are some of the limitations. Right. She's a few steps away from like direct action right. time. But um, I like, I like to think that she's getting there. That, and I like yeah, the idea I think, of I think so. uh, her and Nora, you know, being two voices of, people who worked on this project maybe being mm -hmm. able to find footing and you know start getting some criticism out there but that's that's my hope for that ending that ending doesn't get to that point yet but you do see evelyn just being really happy and 
actually getting to enjoy something that she created. Yeah, I think that's a good point about a lot of the endings is that there's no ending that takes you to like the absolute conclusion right. of any of these right. arcs. So like in Nora's ending, we we are left off like the, the very satisfying moment is that Evelyn made a piece of music that was really well right. received. But the arc of that is really following along about like, yeah, like how does she find her footing having left that behind, but still wanting to speak out against the direction that Skanda's taking things. And like in Ray's route, she doesn't get to the point where she's a licensed counselor, but you see that she's got schools lined up. She's got like, there's a a school that's encouraging her to apply, things like Mm -hmm. that. But but I kind of like the fact that things are never taken to their absolute full conclusion because it kind of, I don't know, it kind of feels in a way like it fits with the themes of the game that Evelyn has spent a lot of time sort of feeling like she's wandering and doesn't know where she should go or where she belongs at the moment. And then, like, you know, she's finally found, like, okay, here is a direction. And it's not the destination, but it's like, here is a direction and I'm going to go this way. I I like the... I, I, I think I was actually kind of disappointed with the endings when I played it for, uh, originally, Coming back to it now, and I, I actually really like them. I I like that it's each ending is about kind of where Evelyn faces for the future. She spent she spent so long just closed away from herself and from making a change. And throughout the visual novel, she's decided I'm I want to change. I don't I don't want to keep doing this. And it's about her interacting with people and how those interactions and viewpoints helps her find a way, a direction to go. And I think it's really nice. I, I like the, yeah. I, I love endings that kind of leave you with trails to keep thinking on. And I think mm-hmm. it's really nice. Yeah, definitely. I really did. I really did enjoy. I really enjoyed seeing all of the endings. I mean, like, obviously the endings that I, I kind of like the best are the Ray ending and the yeah, Nora yeah. ending. Though I do appreciate that Rainer's and Soren's endings, you know, went hard. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the nobody mm-hmm. ending, or which is mostly like Evelyn deciding that she needs to just leave both like Seattle and the tech industry and all, all mm-hmm. of this, like leave all of it. And she's going to go to Japan to meet her father, who she hasn't really ever known before. And, like, that's a big step and huge amount of uncertainty that you never really, you don't know how that's going to go. But it also feels like a very, very, she's got a firm conviction and a determination to do that. And it feels really good, even in that ending, to sort of see her take that step given how how much she's were like she's spent a lot of time worried that she just doesn't have any idea or motivation or understanding of what to do and so yeah that that even that was really really good to see shall we talk about the uh the the writers or about the well i mean let me talk about the reviews real quick because this is a short one There aren't too many reviews for this game compared to a lot of big titles. This is an indie game still by by a lot of standards. And, uh, you know, Metacritic score for it is, like, pretty high. So really, mostly, the only things that I've seen people complain about about this game in formal reviews is that they felt that there weren't enough, like, choices along the Which way. Which is the point, but, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, honestly, yeah, I, I agree that it's kind of the point that 
you didn't have a lot of agency until Evelyn makes that big decision at yeah. the end. And you do have agency within conversations, but it's like, you know, in, in a lot of those settings, what what effect does it have if you tell Rainer that you, like, hate his idea or you love it? Yeah. Like, he's going to keep doing that no matter what, and he's going to keep trying to convince you um, because tech CEOs are like that, and especially men who feel extremely entitled are are like that. Well, it, it reminds me of one one moment from the presentation at the Strand Bookstore that the developer did. Um, he talked about how, you know, how you're sometimes in conversations with people and you feel like it doesn't matter what you said, they still are going to say what they wanted anyway. <laughs> but yeah. I, I thought that was a really interesting yeah. approach. Uh, an interesting way of looking at game design and also just how relationships with certain people work and that's definitely how this visual novel feels it's like evelyn sometimes can say things but it may not change the trajectory like going back to the differences between uh, whether you follow eliza's prompts or evelyn's thoughts Mm. like the outcomes may not be really different the tone is different. The energy is different. Yeah. That's what your choices bring. I, we mentioned this earlier on. It's like your choices affect tone in this in this visual novel. And I liked having that impact. Yeah, it really was good. It, it's like, you know, there's not a whole lot of agency Evelyn can have within this system. Because mm-hmm. we've already seen like throughout the game that there's not a lot of power she has on her own. Even being like one of Eliza's original developers. Right. But in this one instance, she can exercise a little bit of power and it does have, like, she she can do something and it does have an impact, which is really nice to see. And that's, you know, one of the great things about visual novels is that, like I said before, like, you feel that agency when you're able to make that choice. And so this game played really effectively, I think, with, like, you don't have agency in a lot of situations. And then when when you do have the ability to choose, it really hammers home you know, that feeling of the importance of that choice that you're right. you're able to right. make. Right. It feels in that moment feels monumentous when suddenly you mm-hmm. have the option. Like it it's 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 a really cool feeling just to have just a, a different option. God, yeah. It's it I don't know. It's a great moment. I think it's a, a great use of the um a visual novel of using a visual novel. Like in that moment you understand this is why this needed to be a visual novel. Yeah, exactly. It it does remind me of we'll probably talk about We Know the Devil someday. Oh, we, will. <laughs> we we absolutely will. It's one of our favorites. Yeah, yeah. But uh so like there in We Know the Devil you play a lot of routes and then like in the final route there's an option that pops up when there were no other options mm-hmm. at that point. Like there's an option that pops up to do something completely different that you've never been allowed to do I, before. I love those moments and, in visual novels. <laughs> yeah. And those moments, it, it just feels incredibly, like, it feels incredibly freeing. And also, like, you you just feel like I, I am finally sort of getting that sense of having a little bit more understanding of where things are going and a little bit more agency and being able to direct them and that's just a really nice feeling when you're going through especially like a really a really in-depth narrative story like these i guess let's use that as a bridge to talk about the the company that made this but more specifically about the the writer and director of this game um so i think we mentioned before sarah mentioned that this game is made by zachtronics which is known for making like sort of abstract puzzle games I don't know if anybody has ever heard of things like the um, 
Alchemical Codex or Opus Magnum or um, uh, what were the other couple? Um, I think Infiniminer. There are a lot of different sort of puzzle games that Zachtronics has put together over um, the past, I think almost over a decade now. And Eliza's the first like real visual novel that they've pulled together, but they did really, really well for it. And I think one of the big driving forces is the, the writer and director, Matthew Sagey Burns, has done a lot of interviews talking about how he not only put a lot of his own experience into this, since he worked both in tech at like big game companies, like he worked at Bungie, which put out Halo and Destiny, among other things. And he worked at a lot of other big like AAA level game and tech places, and also at like games research labs at like the University of Washington. And he, he put a lot of that experience with like tech and burnout and the culture of the tech industry and his experiences with different types of people there into this game. But he also did a lot of research in addition to that, you know, like counseling and research into like <laughs> research into CBT. Yes, he did research into CBT, extensive CBT research, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is basically the sort of technique that Eliza is, is based on where cognitive behavioral therapy, a lot of us have probably either, either had like experience directly with it or are sort of familiar with it. And it's, it's very structured as a form of therapy. And so there are things that that works really well with and then things that it has some, some pretty significant limitations with regards to. And uh, then there was one thing that actually kind of kind of caught my interest when I was looking through and looking at interviews that he did. And I think specifically, so this one interview that I'm going to reference is from Rock, Paper, Shotgun that did an interview with uh, with Matthew Sagey Burns. And I'm going to drop a link to that interview in the in the episode notes. But basically he cites his his inspiration for making this game as a whole was was that he he was doing research he was in in the games research lab at the university of washington in seattle working as like a producer so he worked as a producer at bungie and and other places as well and he found out about a virtual therapy program that uh university of southern california was developing for darpa to try and use ai to help treat ptsd in soldiers yeah. and so that was like that was the sort of that was the sort of like seed that got him thinking about making this game. And that was really, I thought that was really interesting because then he talks about how he started making this like a very sci-fi concept, like very high concept game, but then he sort of dialed it back and, and sort of made it closer to the present, realizing that, you know, this is probably not too far off if we like, we don't even have to, you don't even have to extrapolate very far to get like from where we are with things like trans transportation with like mm -hmm. Uber to how Eliza functions as an app that sort of like got contractors that aren't really employed by Skanda and can be easily fired and aren't necessarily paid very well up front. I mean, like you have to like let you have to like level up a whole lot in your in your proxy ranking before you can actually like make a, a decent amount of money. And so yeah, that that was really interesting to see. And it was also really cool to see that you know, so this game definitely feels like it plays in a way that has a lot of lived experience in yeah. it. Like, you can definitely tell a lot of the writer's lived experiences in this game. And it's really, it's really good. I really like games and stories where you can tell that, like, someone who works in this field or area 
has really put a lot of themselves into it and you see like really candid explorations of the things that are facing that field so that was just that's just, that's just a little bit about the writer and the the company that that made this game he does he does also mention that eliza is named after a a chap bot program that was done i don't know if it was the 60s or something like that yeah yeah in the 1960s basically it was just like doing auto responses but people were really tricked by it and the developer was kind of uncomfortable with that with how well it did um so it's a really interesting reference there yeah yeah there are a lot of there god there are a lot of different philosophical debates about about things that like about the nature of the ai and things like that but I, I kind of actually appreciated that we didn't see a whole lot of like at length discussion about the nature right. of AI and sentience in this game. This was much more focused on human interaction and human relationships to AI than like how yeah. how do you determine whether AI is, you know, a living form, which is something that interests me. Yeah. I like to see in other visual novels, but here it I like that the focus was elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely like that because this is something that's like a real, like this is something that's deeply ingrained with the lives that we're living right now in 2020. And it's only going to be more relevant for us moving forward. And so, yeah, I think there's another version of this game that would have been made like in an alternate universe where like uh, the middle chapters were all spent on determining whether or not Eliza could pass a Turing (laughs) test. And like... That's an interesting thing, but I don't think that it it really fits in with like the themes of this game, which are really, really about like the human element and like the impact that both tech industry and capitalism and all of these tools that are being developed have on the people that end up interacting with them. Yeah. Anyway, Eliza's great. Yeah. You should play it. If you you got all the way to this, you already kind of know a lot about it, but you should still play it because the experience is going to be worth it yeah the experience of going through it is is excellent i suppose so let's 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 start our wrap up so one 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 change one thing that we'll do to wrap up all these these games that we talk about is what's one change that you would make that you think would would somehow make this game better and my change is actually just like the silliest one so you should probably go first if you have any idea of what you would change I guess going back to my i'm i'm curious what an ending that approached uh technology as a kind of enhancement to human human life like it, now that i've played it again i don't think the visual novel needs it but i'm curious what his take on that would have been mm. If if yeah. I if I was like, hey, when I played this game, I kind of used it. I kind of just thought of it as a tool. I don't I don't think Eliza needs it. I'm just kind of curious what his approach would have been. Yeah, I think that's I think that's valid. I mean, there there's a lot that is left to like a lot more that could be explored about all of these yeah. themes. Um, yeah, that would that that is an interesting one. Mine's completely. Oh, uh, um, yeah. Mine's mine's I know, I know mine you is incredibly important. <laughs> What? What? No, my mine is incredibly important. How dare you insinuate? Oh, I'm not saying that. it's not important. <laughs> it is incredibly important. My the one change I would make to this game is I think that it should have CG splash scenes more often. Um, I think that it should have had CG splash scenes at the end of every single route. Um, I think at the end of Rainer's you route. You wanted to kiss Thorin? No, no, <laughs> God! Why would you say something so cursed? If we're having CD splashes at the end of each ending, no, well, like just so uh, you could kiss Nora. All right, all right. 
yes, you have seen through my plot. This is mostly <laughs> like I just said. So that I am is, not surprised. I just have this up. I, so I've got in my notes right here. I wrote the notes. Like here's the one change I would make is that yes, let's let's give CG splash screens. Let me see an in in screen where Ray and Evelyn are like cuddling on the couch, just like uh, watching watching TV. Let, let me give another CG splash scene where like Nora and Evelyn are making out on stage after a show. Uh-huh. Maybe let me get a CG splash screen of like the the robot apocalypse happening while Rainer. Okay, uh, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, while Rainer Rainer like looks on sipping tea. Yeah, like uh, honestly, that's it's like I said. You, you skipped right past Soren. You're like him and and listen, Evelyn's we already, the band. Listen, we kind of already got Soren's. We got that one like sort of like like scene of like oh here's just like a nice little like patio area where you're looking it's across true. and the the that's sea true. is is yeah that's, that's enough for soren <laughs> but yeah cg splash screens i can never yeah, have enough of them that's fair. they are a mainstay of visual novels and i mean like obviously you don't have to have them the the game i made doesn't have them they're very resource intensive but i always think that there's room in my heart for a cg splash screen of evelyn kissing nora and so i think it would have been cute yeah so i think that i think that that could have been that could have been very delightful um (laughs) yeah so any any (laughs) final thoughts other than other than uh who evelyn should marry um (laughs) well there's only two options yeah there's only two options it's very sad that there's only two options but you know they're two very good options I didn't mention it uh, when we were talking about it, but I did think it was really sweet that uh, when Ray talks about being asexual, there's an option to say, yeah, I'm not, I don't really like yeah. this stuff either. Yeah. And it's just so cute because then Ray's like, wow, I haven't met that many people who feel like I do. Yeah. So sweet. Yeah. I really did like the the breadth of responses you were able to give different characters both like the like that that response that conversation with ray i think is one of the best in the game yeah and then like also on the flip side every time soren is creepy with you you have the option to just be like hey yeah. hey, nope. hey dude fuck off yeah it's nice <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah let's uh i guess let's let's bring it to our bring it close to our outro i guess we can mention uh next step is we're starting Higurashi. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next game we will be playing is we are going to start reading through Higurashi. <laughs> next one we will playing, we will be playing for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the next eight episodes will be Higurashi. Neither of us have played it fully before. I actually have somehow managed to avoid a great number of spoilers over the years, so I I really don't know a whole lot about Higurashi other than I I did read the early parts of it and watched like five episodes of the anime i i think i went on a wiki (laughs) trail like back in 2008 so i i know a lot but i don't have the experience of playing it and i'm really i've never i've something i've always wanted to do we're both huge fans of umineko as we will actually get to yeah and like Um, you know as of, of seventh expansion broadly i'd say yeah so i'm looking forward to with Runa going on this journey through Higurashi and yeah. talking about it. Yeah, yeah. So, so definitely feel free. If you want the next episode, we will have read all of Volume 1 if you want to read along with us. And otherwise, we will uh, we will talk about next time about the Onikakushi chapter. And I guess then let's take it to the close. So, Sarah, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SatelliteSNE and elsewhere at Satellite and Supernova. Hmm. 
And you can find me at uh, on Twitter at Cacklemancy or on Itch, where you can find the games that I make at itch.io slash runalior. Um, that's spelled L-I-O-R-E. And next time, like we said, we're going to be reading volume one of Umineko. And until... Nope. No, 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 not. Fuck, fuck me. <laughs> fuck! <laughs> fuck! Come on, Rue. All right. <clears throat> next time, we'll be reading volume one of Higurashi. And until then... If you don't want to sell your soul and your data to a big corporation like Skanda, then make sure you say it in red. <laughs>